0: Welcome to The Count of Three. I'm your host, Susie Kennan.
1: And I'm your host, Kyle Ward.
0: Today, we're talking about a topic that is really top of mind for so many of us parents. How to talk to our kids about racism. As parents, we tend to shield our children from difficult things. We decide they're too young to understand, or we do not feel like we're equipped to talk about the issues ourselves. Today, to help us learn how to talk to our kids about this important topic, we have two special guests. We have Jordan Theory. He is a documentary filmmaker, activist, and storyteller. He recently wrote a book titled A Kid's Book About Systemic Racism that made it to Oprah's Favorite Things. We also have Shimon Cohen. He is the host and producer of the popular podcast, Doing the Work, Frontline Stories of Social Change. It's so good to have both of you.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you. So the book is for
1: ages six and up. And as you know, six is sometimes at that, that age when kids start to share more about how they're feeling and what they're seeing. So tell us, are kids under six too young to learn about racism?
2: First of all, thanks again for having us on here. And I just want to applaud your efforts for having this conversation about race as a PTA. We're not going to get anywhere around ending racism if we avoid the conversation, And especially for white people, you know, being afraid of saying the wrong thing, being afraid of coming off as racist often inhibits us and holds us back from just working through what we need to work through. So I really just want to applaud you for that. In my family, my wife's Dominican and she's black, Dominican, and our daughters are mixed and different colors. So one is lighter, one is darker. So this is like a conversation we're always having in our house. Race is very much prominent in our house because it's what they experience, right? Like they color comes up and and their relationship to that and how they get treated is something that's discussed all the time. so that's that's a conversation we're always having. and um you know, kids draw, right? Kids do art, and they have to figure out what color crayons they're going to use to draw themselves and to draw their family. And so that would come up where, you know, our daughter would, you know, draw herself as brown and my wife is brown. And then, you know, I was peach is how she would talk to me about and trying to explain to her that, you know, the term is white. That was not going to (laughs) work at that age because she would hold up a piece of white paper and she would hold up the peach crayon and say, you're not white, you're peach, you know? And of course, now when she's almost 14, we would not have that conversation. She's very much aware of like racial categories and it's socially constructed.
0: So I was wondering at what age do kids really start to notice those differences and start to comment on them?
3: All of the voices, all of the dialogue that has been elevated, that seems to have increased and intensified around issues of racial injustice in this country are not something that, kids aren't hearing, right? It's something that kids are also hearing. They're watching the news, they're listening to conversations among their parents and family and peers. And so it's not something that we can shelter them from or say, this is an adult conversation. You know, you're not old enough to partake in this conversation. This is something that we have to talk to our young people about because without them, we're not going to be able to accomplish a racially equitable society, inclusive society without their contributions, their buy-in and their understanding. But we as parents and as adults have to lead the way and model that. And I think sometimes, you know, we're not doing a good enough job of that. I think avoiding race and issues of race is something that people are doing as a way to try to do their part and not be racist, which is actually the the opposite of, of what we want. It's going to take action. It's going to take proactive attitudes to actually undo racism in this country. So there is no neutrality in this. Uh, Neutrality is actually just a way of perpetuating injustices.
0: I hear from a lot of friends that they say that, you know, I'm not prejudiced. I'm teaching my child to be colorblind or not to see color. Can you talk a bit about that colorblind versus color conscious, and maybe a tip for our parents on how to teach their kids to notice and appreciate the differences that Jordan was talking about.
2: You know, my older daughter, her first experience experiencing discrimination was in second grade, right? Second grade, where a couple girls who are, they're Latina, but they're white, said you know, that they wouldn't play with her because of the color of her skin being dark. They specified that in second grade, right? So she heard it. She came home upset. She talked to us about it. We were immediately in the school, of course, meeting with the principal about it. But that was our first real conversation. So that's second grade. So the idea of colorblind racial colorblindness, you know, people of color, know that that doesn't exist, right? It's white people. I'm white, right? So I'm I'm speaking as part of white people. It's really our invention. And I think in some ways it comes from a place of, you know, not wanting to be racist. And it, sometimes it gets back to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. saying, you know, I, that he wanted his children to be judged not by the color of their skin but by the content of the, their character. But the problem is that he meant this vision for the future. He didn't mean, let's pretend all these structural <laughs> forms of racism and oppression don't exist. And then, you know, he, it was this bigger vision. And so we can't just pretend we're in a future that we're not in, you know, and we have the conversation, you know, it's just a constant conversation in our house because that's the reality of my family, you know. And also I've been an educator for a number of years and a lot of my students for in our, in class, like we talk about it. And what I've seen time and time again is students of color are like nodding their heads. (laughs) And I think this speaks to like why you wanted to have Jordan come on here. Right. To talk about this is we're not preparing white children and young adults and students to have these conversations. And so then the fear of having them becomes such a barrier to progress. So that's a
1: great transition to this
2: question. So what do you see as common questions kids have about race? White students have had questions about understanding what white privilege is. And so that has been a challenge of like understanding what that means and that it doesn't mean that like you haven't gone through like hard times. It just means you didn't go through those hard times cause you're white, you know? A black person might've gone through those same hard times but then they also have to deal with racism. So that's one thing. And then also like in elementary school, especially black history month right now, right? And so I I like see what my fourth grader is reading for school and talking about and as a parent, I mean, we're all busy, right? So it's hard. It's really hard. But right now with with more like online school, when her school shut down back in the spring and everything went online, I could hear sometimes some of the programs they use that like it reads the book out loud to her and stuff, or she can read along with it. So there'd be some times where some stuff would come up when I'd be like, wait, wait a second. Let me give you another perspective on that, you know, and we would talk about it. So there was some stuff around slavery in there, so she had questions about like what that would mean for her if she was alive back then. You know? So these are the kind of questions that she would ask. But again, you know, it's going to be different for different kids, based on who they are, based on what they're talking about at home, based on their own racial identity, which is its own developmental progress.
3: Yeah, and I would just add to that, I think kids Are asking questions about what they see around them and are asking questions about the hypocrisy that they see around them. So, okay, mommy and daddy, you know, you're telling me that everybody's equal, but why is it when we go to this neighborhood, all the houses are big and they're nice, and we go to this neighborhood and all the houses are small and they're worn down, and there's people living in the street and all those people are black, you know, or all those people are brown? They either have to Come up with their own conclusions, or they need to be guided in understanding the history and all the different factors and forces that have created this society as it is now, where there is vast racial inequity. Again, I talked about the those contexts and the nuances that teachers and parents have to provide on these conversations around race. They have to educate themselves to be able to teach the young know, people. And explain these things. Otherwise, the conclusion that a young person is likely to make is that, well, they must be lazier. Well, they must not work as hard. Well, they must not be as smart. That's the critical piece. And I think that's why we've seen racism and these racist attitudes continue to to thrive in my generation. In a generation where, you know, we grew up learning about the message of Dr. King Early on, it was beat into us, right? The Dr. King's speech. But still, we have all these incidents happening. We have all these racist people. And so because those things were never explained, so they came to their own conclusions about certain groups of people and themselves.
0: What do you guys see as the first or next steps for parents in addressing race at home? And then what do I say to my kid if I don't have the right answer?
3: I mean, I think the next step is to really... Be intentional about educating yourself to be able to talk to your kids about these things. I mean, you know, I think some parents are really excited that the book is out and like, here, let's read it. I provide sort of a, a warning in in introduction of the book, like this is a discussion tool. So you have to provide a lot of a lot more information. You're going to be asked a lot of questions that aren't answered here. And it's important that you Do you take time to have those conversations with your children? But you have to be comfortable doing so. And so you have to educate yourself first. This book is certainly not going to answer the majority of kids' questions about racism. So if anything, that's just my biggest advice is to be really intentional about self-educating because I think a lot of people think they get it. But then when you ask them questions or when their kids ask them questions, they're sort of like, uh, I don't know, you know, and don't be afraid to say, let's come back to this next week. You know, give yourself some time to go dig up some examples that will help you illustrate some of what's talked about in the book and some of what your children are asking you about. This is not something that's, you know, a one hour thing. You sit down, you have the conversation, it's on to the next topic. This should be an ongoing conversation in your household.
0: It's kind of like you said in your outro, you know, hopefully what it, this does is Stimulate your kids to ask you questions as they start to walk through their lives in the next few weeks, right? They, they'll see something and they'll be like, "Hey, is that systemic racism?" and you can have that conversation. Exactly.
3: So. Yeah, I yeah. want to give Shimon a chance to answer because you know he's he's <laughs> doing this in real life. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you. I think it's a great question. I, you know, and Jordan, I agree with everything you said. I mean, we got to start with ourselves, right? And I think part of the conversation, Susie, is saying, you know, like this is something that like I'm learning about too and like let's learn together. But I think it's modeling for them, right? As parents, like we want to model, right, for our kids. We want to demonstrate the behaviors that we want to see in them, right? And so what a great thing to do is to say like we are going to talk about race and racism and systemic racism and and share those stories of like, well, this is how I grew up. And this is what my parents talked or didn't talk to me about. And I'm trying to do this with you. And I might not get it right, but we're going to try We're going to do this, you know, and let's look at some stuff together. And you're going to end up learning from them too. I mean, I learned so much from my wife and daughters about this because I don't have their experiences. I'll never have their experiences. And even if, you know, me being white. And even if they were white, I still wouldn't have their experiences because I'm not them. It's totally different, you know, racially and with color, you know, different shades of color as well. Being open and not at- thinking that I know all of this and having that conversation, like this is a lifelong process. Like we don't reach an end point where like we've got it all figured out, you know, I think that's really important.
1: We want to do the right thing by our children, and we want to answer their questions. I mean, I think back of my firstborn son when he got old enough and asked the question, where do babies come from? And my first <laughs> response, I was scared to death. So I said, go ask your mom. And I think with this delicate topic we're talking about today, it's like, what about the we white parents who want to do the right thing, but but it scares us? And what about some of these parents who say, well, it's not their place to have this conversation. What would you say to them?
2: You mean the parents say as parents, it's not their place? Right. Those parents who
1: just kind of avoid the topic and say, hey, that's, you know, it's not my place to explain that.
0: Or maybe they don't feel like that there's a place for them in the conversation around racism, right? Because they're a white parent. What can they add to the conversation? So
2: Yeah. So the message I've gotten pretty loud and clear over many years, because I I grew up in Maine and I grew up in a very white area. So it's not like I grew up having these conversations. (laughs) I'm Jewish. So we definitely had a lot of conversations and I grew up with like an identity of being the other and being a minority. But this has been like a lifelong process for me. But what's a message that's been made very clear to me from black people who I, you know, have relationships with and who I've learned so much from, has been white people created racism and it's white people's job to end it. And so, if white people aren't willing to have those conversations, if you're a white parent and you think racism is bad, right? And it's something you think that shouldn't exist then it's your job to be uncomfortable and just work through that discomfort because black people and people of color are dealing with the discomfort of racism every day. You're saying then
1: our silence and inaction then mean we're really not trying to solve the problem.
2: Yeah, so I heard it put one time and I cannot remember where I got this from, but if you think of like racism as a conveyor belt, And you know, like at the airport, those walkways where you stand on it and it moves you along. So if you're neutral, it's going to move you right along. If you're just on the walkway, it's moving you along. So that's like being non-racist or being neutral is it's still racism is chugging right along. So for anti-racism, you have to turn around and actually walk against it and take action and movement and expel energy to work against it. So that helped me to kind of conceptualize it in that way.
1: You think a lot of people in their minds
2: go, well, I'm not
1: racist, so I don't need to have these conversations.
2: Oh, absolutely. All the time.
0: Or I don't need to be intentional about being anti-racist. It's good enough that I'm just not racist.
2: And what happens is that racism has become a interpersonal, it's defined as just an interpersonal issue, right? So it's a prejudice of, you know, I don't like this person because of their race and everyone can have prejudice. That definition is problematic because it leads to that exact thing. Like, well, I'm not racist. I don't think of people that way. So I don't need to do anything. Whereas if we look at racism as, you know, Jordan's book, looks at as it's a system and anyone who really studies this too, like that's what you see is it's a system and it's been going on for a very long time since before the United States was created. It's not just like, Oh, I'm not racist. I, I actually don't even think the question of if I'm racist or not racist really matters. Honestly, at this point for me, it's what am I doing to work to end racism and if I'm not doing anything then I'm as a white person, I'm still receiving the benefits of racism. It's painful to say that it's a horrible thing, but it's true. That's a contradiction that we have to live with as white people.
0: Okay. Looking at our kids today, the high schoolers, young adults, like my daughter in high and college, do you believe that Gen Z has the potential to be that turning point that could propel us toward ending systemic racism?
3: Absolutely. I think they're going to play a pivotal role. I think that we are not doing enough to support Generation Z right now in all other aspects of life, to be honest with you. And so, you know, their ability to address these societal problems as they come into positions of increasing power is going to be inhibited by what they're experiencing right now, which is really a lack of, of economic opportunity a lack of opportunity to receive in higher education, all this because of of the cost, of course. The hyper-focus that we have as a society, I think, on on flashy news and flashy conversations instead of meaningful interactions. These meaningful interactions, I feel like, are getting harder to come by just as a society because we've become such an individualized uh, society, uh, you know, so the community spaces and the resources for these community spaces uh, aren't there. And so I think that makes actually colleges and, and universities and places of higher learning even more important because those are still places where these conversations are taking place. I think it's a place that we have to protect for these conversations to take place. To me, I see a light and day difference between you know, the folks who've had those opportunities to engage in those conversations and those kinds of spaces and those who have not.
1: So my kids are 21 and 25. They're young men. They're on their way during the ice storm. They were all in my house. So we talked a lot, sometimes in the dark with no electricity. So tell me, is it ever too late to start talking about this topic with your kids?
2: That's a great question. And I would say, no, it's never too late. And again, I think like this is where we learn from them too, right? I mean, I'd like to think my parents learned from me about this topic. (laughs) We definitely have conversations. And I can tell you, we did not have these conversations when I was younger, you know, but we have them now. And I mean, I'm in my mid 40s. So I don't think it's ever too late. How were those conversations for you?
1: They're very easy conversations for me in the sense it's totally opposite. My children went to school with people of color. We went to church with people of color. We had children of color in our home that they played with. So I think the conversation for me is far different than what it would have been my parents with with me because my children have, have really lived in a different world which kind of leads me to my, my last thought for you before Susie closes us out. So what will my grandchildren be talking about on this topic? And I worry about my grandchildren that I don't even know yet or what the world looks like or whatever. With your wonderful book and this knowledge that you've shared today, what's my grandchildren and Susie's grandchildren, what's it going to look like and how can we continue to make a difference?
3: Frankly, I I don't know. The way this has happened in the past is that as Black people, we get our moments where these conversations are heightened. And then everybody chooses to focus on something else for another 10 years. And then we get another moment. And then that lasts for maybe a year or two. And then you you see what I'm saying? And so... I'm concerned with how do we keep this conversation and this focus going and add on to it? Because it's not just the focus on systemic racism that's problematic. It's also systemic patriarchy, right? It is those forces as well. All of those systems of oppression that are creating real divides between our society, not just at a social level, but at an opportunity level, at a quality of life level, of course. And so I hope that the 30 years from now, the conversations are richer and more intersectional than they are right now, because a lot of people are focused on race and racism. And that's absolutely important to me. But you should also care just as much about patriarchy and sexism. You should care just as much about the disability rights movement, right? So that's what I hope the conversation looks like 30 years from now. I hope it looks that way uh, one year from now, tomorrow. But I would hope that in 30 years, these conversations are more dynamic and
2: intersectional in that kind of way. But Shimon, I I would love to hear your thoughts on that too. I just think so much is going to depend on who has the power to really create the changes that are necessary, you know, and what are they learning in school? I mean, this is a PTA podcast, right? There are efforts to not have these conversations, right? There are efforts to not have curriculum in schools about race and about ethnic studies. If that legislation, passes and there's however many years of not having ethnic studies, right? And then the the fights to get it back and all like all of that that's happening right now, but that's been happening for a long time. What will those grandchildren, what world will it look like? Because what education, you know, will they be receiving? So I, I like to me it's just such an unknown because it can feel like there's this momentum. But like Jordan said, every time there's kind of like progress around racial justice there's then like backlash that history has shown that you know and we've seen that in this country in the last few years so i don't know you know i want to be hopeful i want so bad to be hopeful but sometimes it's hard
0: so tell us if we want to continue to follow you too how we can find you how we can follow you tell us your podcast again and how to find it and jordan tell us how to find you
2: Sure. Yeah, I do a podcast, doing the work, frontline stories of social change. You can find it on any podcast apps, and I have a website www dot So it's doing without the g, doing the work. And um, I also on Twitter, it's at doingtheworkpod. So doing the work pod. And then my Twitter is at Shimon D. Cohen, S-H-I-M-O-N-D-C-O-H-E-N.
3: You can buy the kids book about systemic racism and all the other incredible kids book about series at akidsbookabout.com. And you can find me on Instagram. If you want to connect on social media, my Instagram handle is just jordan.theory.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And I do recommend the book, highly recommend the book. Thank you both so much for being here. It's been a really interesting conversation. I appreciate your patience as we got through it. As parents, we want and need, so very need, to raise the next generation of kids who are compassionate and empathetic so that those kids are better able to see the unjust or unfair and actually are equipped to do something about it. So parents out there, we can do this, be intentional about it. And I really look forward to being with you all on our next episode of The Count of Three. Thank you for joining Texas PTA's podcast. Remember, if you care about Texas students and schools, you belong in PTA. Join anytime and from anywhere at joinpta.org.